Hello, my friends. I'm curious to know how many of you have a leadership pipeline. We know that great leaders grow companies because we talk to them here on the show every day. But what are you doing to create great leaders within yours? If you're a CTO, it is 100% your responsibility to grow and improve your people beyond just their coding abilities. We've built a tool that improves your people in their craft and in leadership. Visit leaderbits.io to learn more. Today we are talking to Harry Mosley, the CIO at Zoom Communications, and we discuss the number one most important thing you can do as a leader, the advantages of having an entrepreneurial culture, and what you can gain by taking time to reflect at the end of each day. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. So where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from uh, sunny Scottsdale, New York. How far is that from Westchester? It's in Westchester. I'm in Westchester. Oh, I have lots of family in Westchester. Uh, where about? Well, there's a bunch of small towns. One of them we talk about is like Armonk. I know they talk about Armonk a lot. Um, oh. He's a musician, like uh, owns a, has like a record label, works with Sony and stuff. Cool. cool. No, I was, Armonk is about... 40 minutes north of me. I was riding up there on the weekend. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it's a, it's actually a really cool small town. There's a bunch of towns that are strung together, but everybody really knows each other. And it's it's a really cool population of people up there. Yeah, and I, I live in Scarsdale, which is more south. So we're 20 minutes north of Manhattan. Oh, okay. And, um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's very nice. I like it. And where are you? We're down in Florida. It's uh, it's nice and warm, but I'm actually in Manhattan Thursday or Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. There's a couple companies up there, like um, Estee Lauder. Do you know them? Like the makeup company? <laughs> yeah, I have heard of them. They they do some amazing technology. You'd be you'd be really surprised if you looked at like what they were building. Oh yeah, what are, like what? Well, for one, like, you know how the Snapchat filters make it look like you have makeup on you? Like the, the girls, it makes their eyes bigger and like rosy. Well, some of their luxury brands that they own, they're doing these like smart mirrors, right? And you can actually see what the makeup's going to look like on you before you purchase the makeup. And then you can actually pick a color and they'll customize like the actual makeup to your exact color and all, all of these things. That's very cool. Yeah, from like a machine learning or from an AI type, like what the problems that they're solving uh, with the technology. I was like, this is actually, I didn't know there would, I didn't think makeup would be that interesting. Yeah. Oh, well, it's kind of interesting. You know, sort of, it's uh, one of the topics I love to talk about is the art of the possible. It's kind of like we thought about things years ago and, and um, uh, we, we said, oh, if only we could do this, if only we could do that. And now we are doing this and now we are doing that. So the, the notion that, you know, you don't have to go to a store to try on the suit. You can just sort of upload your various different dimensions and then see how the suit looks on you and, and with your, including your face. So it's, you know, that's pretty cool. Yeah. The volumetric stuff that they've done. And also, you don't even have to decide what you want to wear. You could take the whole stitch fix route and just tell it a bunch of things that you previously liked and it'll tell you what you should wear. Yeah. Well, it's it's sort of like it's getting into all the predictive analytics, right? So it's going to predict, you know, predicting what you buy, predicting what you wear. It's kind of, you know, you'll wake up in the morning, it'll tell you the weather, it'll tell you what your schedule is. Oh, and it'll tell you what you should wear today because it'll know your inventory in your closet. 
Personally, and the weather. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Personally, I think that's getting way too far, but it's the art of the possible. I love that. And and so is that like a core value at at Zoom, or is that you talk about? No, um, no, when you it's, no. It's uh, that's just my imagination running wild. I love it. Uh, so. Yeah. I yeah I also saw when you when you switched the screen and it was like the the Star Trek right um, I see a lot of the stuff like this backs up the art of the possible um, get the cell phones right now now you get the cell phones which are communicators when do we get the teleportation yeah well yeah beam me up Doctor Spock yeah. yeah you're kind of doing the teleportation right now you're you're teleporting my photons. Essentially, well, um, you know, it's not, it's not three D, and it's like we don't have touch and we don't have smell. Um, but you know, as I as I always say, well, we don't have those things yet. Um, so, not I'm not forecasting anything, but it's, you know, <laughs> but but people, you know, people in movie, you know, sort of movie theaters have experimented with touch and smell and vibration. You know, changing the temperature in the in the auditorium, changing it so that there's a mist if it's raining on the movie. So you have like a true sort of like a you know sort of like a real experience. So I think you know sort of again it goes back to what I just said a moment ago. It's the art of the possible. The art of the possible is here, and uh, there's a lot more possibilities. I was talking to a group actually last week in uh, California about sort of uh, the startups and you know sort of when you think about doing a startup today, uh, Joel, um, all you need is a credit card. You know, you need a credit card, a laptop, and off you go. Kind of like you swipe it and, you know, you spin up a bunch of AWS servers or Azure servers or something in the Google Cloud, and you're off and running. I did a startup in 1981. I had to buy a mini computer for $100,000, which, you know, that's, you know, notionally 40 years ago, right? Um, so, uh, you know, in, in present value, Quite a quite a chunk of change, and then you had to buy terminals, and you had to wire it all up, and so on and so forth. But today, credit card, laptop, off and running, and you know you can work out of Starbucks. It's amazing all the benefits that technology has has given to us. I like that you brought up your first startup. I want to I want to go back and find out like when did you first interact with technology? Like when did you first fall in love with tech? Was it, was it video games? Was it a magazine? Like how did you, how did you fall in love with technology? Uh, that's a, that's a short question. It's got a relatively long answer to it, but um, I'll try to, I'll try to keep it to the short version. So uh, I studied uh, at Trinity College Dublin, math, computer science, and engineering. And um, math and engineering were together in computer science just came along for the ride, and I thought it was rather interesting. Graduated 77, spent um, uh, the first year as an engineer, and at the end of 19, the middle of 1978, I realized that, you know, sort of engineering um, uh, wasn't my, uh, wasn't going to take me where I wanted to go. Um, and I spent the prior six months programming a microcomputer to do various different engineering artifacts, if you will, to sort of get away from the manual elements. Probably should have stayed doing that um, in hindsight because that was kind of like ahead of the curve. And uh, started my first job in 1978 with a tech company in uh, London City. I started as a computer clerk, uh, going around maintaining software and doing all the upgrades. It was all very manual, so I replaced the whole lot with automation. I literally built it all from scratch. Again, a mistake. I should have built that into a company, but I didn't. <laughs> so lots of mistakes along the way. But um, 
uh, you know, here I am today and, and uh, very satisfied with the career I've had, to be honest. But, but when's the first spark? Like, when's the first time you turn something on, you're like, oh, I love this? Or like, when's that first moment that you fell in love with technology? I think it was when I was programming that. Well, you know, the, I mean, my first love goes back to when I was in college. It's like, you know, sort of program, although I was programming a mainframe with punch cards, you know, you could punch out the punch card, you know, you create the punch card deck, you submit it in the evening, get your results in the morning. If one of the cards was wrong, it was a whole sort of, it all ended up in the bit bucket and, and had to start again. But I just loved the, I was just fascinated by it because it was, um, uh, the automation level was just, uh, amazing. Um, uh, for my thesis uh, in college, I designed a concrete tower. It's called Universal Strength, where the stresses and strains are equal and uh, has an elliptical skin on the outside and an elliptical skin on the inside. And the uh, curves are completely different. So doing that manually, mathematically, it was like virtual, well, virtually impossible, not quite, but would have taken you a very long time. And so getting the mainframe to do that uh, overnight was trivial by comparison and plotting it all out was very cool. I love it. See, I, I like those I like those first moments. Because like the first time I wrote code, I felt like a caveman that had just created fire. I was like, <laughs> right yeah, around. But, but I also remember when I did my startup in uh, 1981 and uh, got got my microvax and uh, was programming and the... Um, uh, at a very low level in the microvax using the uh, s uh, system services. That was very, very cool. Because I was very fortunate. My education in computer science took me in at a very low level. We actually wrote machine code. Uh, I don't know if you've, if you've ever experienced that, mm -hmm. but that yeah. is particularly hard where you're actually controlling the registers, which is a very low level of programming. And I remember the professor explaining why we were doing this. He said that, I want you to understand the fundamentals of computing that it's all binary, that it's all registers. And if you can understand that, then whatever you ever do in your future uh, will be based upon the same principles. Of course, now we've got quantum computing, which is you know different, uh, but the underlying principles are very similar. Yeah, so my father was an engineer, and so he taught me how to write code, get into computers and registries, and essentially how bits work and how they get stored and retrieved you know see you're smiling because you know what i'm talking about it's very similar to where you were in the conversation with the registries but and then it gave me this this visual understanding of how an operating system actually boots up and how memory gets stored on the physical disk and when you see it like that it just your mind i remember that day like my mind just unlocked about how the computer is actually working and it, it's it's just fascinating yeah, it is fascinating. Um, and uh, I mean, there's many fascinating pieces of my journey. You know, I remember when I automated the software maintenance at the software company that I was at. Um, I remember writing my first program that went into the banking system that we were working on. I remember, oh, I, <laughs> um, again, so many things, but there's so many, there's fun one. This, this one was fun. So I was, it was around about 19. Uh, probably around about 1980. Yeah, about 1980. And there was, uh, for this bank, there was uh, two systems. There was the banking system and there was the money transfer system. And uh, one of the uh, ladies in this bank had two terminals on her desk. And I was coming back one day and I said to her, I remember her name, Gloria. 
I said, Gloria, uh, why do you have two terminals on your desk, one banking and, and one money transfer? So she says, you know, sort of frequently I will get a request to transfer money for a client. And so before I transfer it on the banking system, I go to check that the funds are, uh, before I transfer it on the payment system, I go to check on the banking system that the funds are available. And if they are, then I will debit his account on the banking system for, you know, the transaction. And then I'll wire the funds out. And I thought, hmm, very interesting. And I went back uh, into the computer area. And I said to Stephen, what I just experienced with Gloria. And he said, okay, so what? And I said, well, why don't we automate that? And he said, what you mean automate it? And I said, look, there's two wires coming back out of each of these two terminals, a transmit and a receive wire. They all go through the matrix panel. Why don't we just cross the wires? And he said, well, what's that going to do? And I said, and then we can write a little piece of software on the banking system and on the payment system to communicate like terminals. And then we'll create a new program for Gloria that basically she wants to transfer funds for this account. It will check the funds are available, and if they are available, wire it out. And when he gets the confirmation back that the wire was successful, debit the account with all of the transaction details. And he said to me, <clears throat> one of these things that I've used a lot since in my career, which is, he said, will it work? And I said, well, I don't know, but if we don't try it, it certainly won't work. <laughs> but, um, so we had a prototype running at 3 a.m. in the morning. Literally, uh, a prototype. Uh, where, and it worked. And it was absolutely amazing. And then it rolled into production? Uh, we didn't, well, we, we didn't, rolled into production shortly after that. In those days, you didn't have release planning, <laughs> release controls, and... <laughs> You know, sort of separation of duties and, you know, uh, release managers and, you know, stuff. We had controls, but um, uh, not, not like the rigid controls we have today. So you're innovating and automating in that space. And ultimately, today you end up at Zoom. How far along did you, in, like, how far along was Zoom before you joined? Uh, they were well, very well established. Uh, I mean, Eric Yuan, our CEO and founder, has created an amazing company, an amazing culture, an amazing product. Um, and uh, uh, so when I joined, I joined 15 months ago, approximately. It was very well established. Obviously, we've grown a lot since then and changed a lot. Um, and we will continue to grow and change um, just by the nature of the fact that, you know, of the company. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, you guys just went public recently, right? Yes. Yeah, that was exciting. I, I'm I'm just a fan of Zoom. We've been, we started the podcast with, uh, I can't remember some some other type of tool, and then we slowly explored different options, and ultimately we ended up with Zoom because of all the different features and capabilities. And then we just became fans of Zoom. <laughs> well, it's like I said to Jake, your colleague, a few moments ago. You know, so he gets on the he gets on and he goes, "Can you hear me?" And I say, "Yes, I can." And, you know, we're so used to making that statement, but when it's Zoom, you really don't need to make that statement. <laughs> right? Well, it works. I'll it tell just you what, works. It just works. We do, you could look at my account too. Like, uh, we, the amount of calls we do on Zoom, it's ridiculous. We do a lot. And then we're always doing video and then our podcast is heavily dependent on the video working. 
correctly because we make these little micro content clips and all of these things that we do with it. And just, it's something we don't have to think about. Like we don't have to worry about if things are going to be corrupt, if recordings aren't going to happen properly. Like, everything just works. And that's why people love it so much. <laughs> so is your podcast audio or audio and video? Yes. So the podcast in the podcast app is, you know, only supports audio. So people listen to us mostly on their commutes and things like that. But the way we get a lot of interaction and views is we take clips of the podcast from the video and we chop them up into these, what we call micro content clips. And we post them on like LinkedIn and YouTube. And then people interact with them because they like to be visual when they're on their screen and they like to be audible when they're, when they're mobile. Got it. Yeah. So we love it, but Great. yeah, no, it's <clears throat> so, a terrific platform. So what, what is the thing right now that you're like extremely excited about? Is it the background replacement? Is it the growth of the company? Is there something else that's secret and you can't talk about? <laughs> uh, well, definitely that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, de definitely the definitely we're working on new things new capabilities but you know we introduced zoom phone uh earlier this year uh so that was that came about as a consequence of you know two things one was um as strategically as a company we wanted to complete the sort of circle of unified communications and collaboration and our clients came to us and said um you know we, you created this amazing meetings platform where the quality of the product and the stability of the product and the audio on the product is superior. So much so much so that actually the audio on Zoom, many of our clients have said it's like better than a traditional phone call, uh, principally because you've got a higher frequency range so you don't have the clips, right? Um, so why, you know, So they asked us about Zoom phone and we wanted to do Zoom phone. The notion that now we have Zoom phone, it's available in production, uh, and that you can actually just make a phone call and then elevate that phone call into audio or video is really cool. So I actually did this um, uh, one day last week. I was driving home <coughs> and um, I joined a call uh, using Zoom phone. And then when I got home, I was actually able to elevate the call into video without having to disconnect and redial. So think That's about pretty that. Yeah, so think about that. It's like, man, how many times you get called on your cell phone um, and then you want to, you know, and ask you to join a meeting, but now you have to disconnect and dial back in. So we don't need to do that anymore. That's amazing. Yeah. Just listen, listening to your customer over and over and over. Yeah. So, you know, the voice of the customer has always been sort of super important. Michael Dell, I think, named, um, coined that phrase, the voice of the customer. Uh, very early on, and uh, we do that a lot. Um, we listen to our clients, listen to their needs, and uh, typically take their requests in and put them into um, put them into the roadmap. But Zoom, so Zoom, so going so going back though, Zoom phones very exciting. I'm I actually saw I've been thinking about it a little bit over here because we're growing our sales team, we're growing our company, and we were looking for like a phone solution. And at this right around the same time, we got you know, the emails about Zoom phone. I was like, oh, I wonder how that's going to work for us. Like maybe as a team, maybe we use it. We already use the Zoom products to connect us with our customers already. So it's like, you know, maybe, maybe we use the Zoom phone one too. So now we're going to explore that. Yeah, natural, natural extension. Well, if I can help you in that regard, yeah, please feel free. Just keep making amazing products, please. <laughs> 
Yeah, and then you got, you know, and then we had the uh, the partnerships that we announced um, late last year, Atlassian and Dropbox, and oh, you know, Atlassian. Have yeah. you hung out with their CTOs over there? Their uh, yeah. CTO or CIO? Yeah. Oh, they're awesome. They're awesome people, man. I just had them both on the show. We did a C- CTO CIO one, and we had their CTO on one week, their CTO CIO on the next week, and we talked about the differences and their roles and responsibilities and where their focus. They have an amazing company culture similar to Zoom, um, but their their first uh, their first culture item is open company, no bullshit. That's like their first, like that's their what they publish everywhere. And I was like, that's interesting. I love that. That's yeah, a good being, corporate. Being, well, I think being tra- being transparent, being open, and um, uh, is uh, um, creates a fantastic culture. Uh, you know, because it's all about trust. So if you trust me and I trust you then off we go. If there's a doubt about that trust relationship, then, you know, you're a little bit more reserved, right? Yeah. And when it's open and transparent, you can get more smart people involved with the problem. Yeah, And you just go faster. I mean, it's, you know, sort of like the no BS comment. Um, yeah. You just go, you just go much faster. You don't have, you know, you know when you, when you're, you know, sort of feel like you're walking on glass, it's really hard or if you're pushing on rope it's really hard but when you don't have to deal with those sorts of issues you can just go dramatically faster no that's that's one of my my favorite like leadership things to talk about i do have some questions that we get like we push out to our mailing list and we ask questions to all the different cto cios and vps of engineering type people that listen to the show and then they send back some questions and i look through them and so i have a couple of those if that's okay with you you, I have a, a, a one of the you know one of the other phrases I say is like you can ask me anything and I'll choose if I want to answer it and if I do <laughs> how I answer it. So feel free. Yeah. So one of the questions that's been coming a lot, coming up a lot is like as a leader, like how how are you accountable to your team and you know how do you deal with accountability in general with between that relationship between you and your team? Yeah. So I have always believed uh, that um, as a leader, the number one thing that you're responsible for is the success of the people on your team. So every day I wake up and I think about what challenges they have, what opportunities they have, and what can I do as a leader to help them achieve their objectives. That, by by and large, is the most important. Um, Spending time, effort on that, trying to figure out ways, whether if it's a, you know, if it's a colleague in enterprise sales that's trying to figure out a way into an organization, how can I help them? If there's a colleague with a technical challenge, how can I help them? If there's a colleague that's having, you know, sort of a challenge at work even uh, from a mentoring perspective on their career and aspirations, how can I help them? I think that as a leader, uh, you know, your your number one responsibility is to the people you work with. I agree. Your microphone is scratching a little bit against your um, collar. There we go. Absolutely. So everybody should know that scratchy was caused by my microphone physically scratching off my shirt. So it wasn't anything <laughs> to do with the quality of the Zoom audio platform. I can verify that. I'll, <laughs> so how much, how do you go about developing your team? Obviously you have some sort of team that you work directly with direct reports. How, how do you go about like developing them? Do you spend a lot of time, a little time? How do you balance that? 
I think it goes in fits and starts. I mean, you know, sort of typically, you know, you do one-on-one meetings once a week. Um, uh, so you have the, those one-on-one dialogues, which are between you and the individual. And then, you know, sort of weekly meetings with the team and then quarterly meetings with the entire group. So you want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Um, and uh, not everybody needs to be on every conversation because sometimes, you know, if, you know, if, if I'm working with one of the one of the people on the team and we have a difference of opinion, it's not that he is or she is right and wrong, or I am right or wrong. It's like we have a difference of opinion, so you got to you got to work that out, right, and then figure out well how are we going to go forward. Um, not everybody needs to participate in that conversation. Um, and you know the you know when you have the the leadership team conversation, that's to make sure that. Everybody understands all the moving parts that we've got, and then uh, getting together with the entire group is so that everybody you know sort of understands where we've come from and where we're going. How do you connect with your your peers? Do you do you give a lot of talks? Do you go to like the technology, like the local New York Technology Association type meetings, um, conferences? Like, how do you stay in touch with your peers? Yeah. So. Um, I probably attend sort of one to two um, events a week these days, uh, given, you know, sort of given that I work for a tech company as opposed to working for, you know, like KPMG or Blackstone or Credit Suisse UBS in my past. Um, and so uh, that's a way of staying in touch with my peers. Um, I've got a pretty significant network. And so uh, I know a lot of people, a lot of people know me. and. Um, and in, in any given week, I don't know, I must connect with like 20 plus of my peers. It's rather staggering. And one could argue that's not that's not possible mostly. Um, you know, it's not realistic. But it's, you know, I do I do track uh, who I connect with on a week to week basis. Just because I think it's important, you know, sort of uh, one of the important things I believe that everybody should do is at the end of the day, uh, you know, um, take a t- reflect on the day and reflect on um, what would not have happened had you not gone to work today. Now, you know, um, some days nothing would have, nothing changed. Um, but most days you will find that, you know, there's three, four, five things that would not have happened had you not gone to work today. And I think that's important to track because it's important for you to uh, recognize um, the contribution you're making. Yeah, bring awareness to it. Yeah, uh, not not from a not not from a peer perspective within the organization, but just for your own self edification, if you will. I'm a big fan of growing myself. Like I always look at like how can I make one small improvement, and how how can I leverage the compounding nature of time in order to move myself forward. Yeah, absolutely. My English teacher when I was in uh, school, I was probably about 12 years old. And um, I remember Mr. Blackburn uh, saying that every day you wake up, um, you need to learn something new. It doesn't matter how small it is or how big it is or what it is. It could be, you know, when you when you grow up and you're, you know, sort of, I was 12 at the time, as I said, when you grow up and you're a professional in your career, whatever that's chosen to be, it could be something from a professional perspective. It could be something from a personal perspective. But learning something new every day is super important. 
it's that sense for me, it's like that sense of progress, right? Like yeah. the fact that I, that I move myself forward. I, I find that all the bad things in life happen to me when I feel like I'm standing still. <laughs> well, my father used to say, if you're standing still, you're really going backwards because the rest of the world is moving forwards. Of course. I like your, yes. <laughs> oh man. I like the way he thinks. Um, now while you're in New York, uh, are you in San Francisco a lot? Is that where the headquarters is? Uh, headquarters in San Jose. Um, in San Jose. Yeah. So I get there uh, probably like once a month. Once a month? Yeah. I was out there. I ran into this company um, called Pulse QA, which was pretty interesting. Have you heard of them? No. Oh, so they're essentially like we have the podcast on, we have guests on and we talk, right? Like, and we share the advice and the audience listens, but they took it like a step farther with, they focused on creating community of like technology decision makers that just share between themselves. And so I can I saw them online and then I was out in San Francisco the next you know week after that. And I ran into them and I saw what they were doing, but it was, it was pretty interesting because I know you meet a, a lot with your peers, right? Cause I get to meet a lot with people and they're usually way ahead of me. So I'm getting tons of value out of it. But some of the peers like to give back to like the next generation, do things like come in a podcast and Pulse Q&A is, is like really cool technology. So if you're getting a lot of like the peer to peer stuff, like, and you want to, you know, see what's coming up in the next generation, um, Pulse Q&A is pretty cool, pretty cool for that. Uh, I'll check it out. Yeah, but, it, but it's absolutely it's it's a known fact. I mean, you know, if a friend of yours, uh, uh, Joel, if a friend of yours calls you and basically says, "Joel, here's a piece of technology that I think is really good and that you should take a look at it," what will you do? You will probably take a look at it. Yeah, if, and if it's especially good, if it's someone you if it's someone you know and you trust. If it's someone you don't know and you uh, are someone you don't trust, you, you'll you might just listen and like, okay, next. Yeah, that's why like when I see cool stuff like this, I like to tell people about it because it's, I don't know, it's kind of how life works, right? Like you see cool stuff, you pass it along. That's how Zoom grew, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, you know, and you, you know, if you just look back over the last, you know, sort of, I mean, looking back into like 2018, there were over 200 features we added to the platform, believe oh, it or wow. not. Yeah, so it's pretty significant, right? And, you know, you look, you know, you look over the first, 90 days of this calendar year and we added over 50 features plus the introduction of zoom phone um you know so that you can do things like you know multi-content sharing in a room which is like pretty fascinating right um you know we announced that we're going to be doing real-time transcription later this year which is like pretty cool that is um, really neat yeah so uh which you know augments the transcription we already had um, I don't know if you've ever used that, uh, mm -hmm. where you're doing the recording and you create the cloud recording and you do the digital transcription that goes along with the audio and the video and the content sharing. That's really cool. Um, the nice thing about real-time transcription is that um, if you you know arrive five minutes late for a meeting, which of course would never happen to the, the likes of you and me because we're just, never, never. Never. Uh, um, but if you did arrive five minutes late, you could actually go to the real-time transcription and look and see what, what did you actually miss without having to interrupt the meeting. That's super useful. Yeah, very useful. Yeah. Now, I've got, I've got an actual product question here. So um, the, the transcription is only available when you do cloud recordings, right? Yes. 
Okay. So we record a lot locally to our computer, but I did do the cloud one once and it was really cool because if I, I believe this is correct. I searched for the transcription and it yeah, would like yeah. take me to a different point in the call. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. You search for the word or the phrase and it, hi it highlights on the audio and video stream with little yellow spots where it finds the word or the phrase and you can just click the spot and it'll take you right there. Uh, or you can click the transcript and it takes you right there. So uh, very cool. But um, yeah, so um, uh, uh, yeah, so recording to the cloud provides that for you. Yep. So I'm I'm big geek. We talked a little bit about Logic Seventeen. Built like a lot of apps, a lot of different companies and technologies. And so I'm curious, to, like, what's the what's the structure like at Zoom? Do you guys have hundreds of engineers, thousands of engineers? I don't we know. We don't we don't disclose how many engineers. Oh, okay. we have. So Sorry. You know, yeah, that's okay. That's, you know, it, go, it goes to what I said a moment ago. Feel free to ask anything you like, and I'll choose to answer it or not. <laughs> Um, so we don't disclose how many engineers we have, um, but it's a, you know, we're a, very, we're a fairly entrepreneurial culture. Mm -hmm. And so we get a lot of different sort of uh, inputs, if you will, into the product from, you know, from our clients primarily, but also internally from industry, um, uh, from our, you know, we have a client advisory board. So we get sort of multiple different, um, we have multiple different ways of getting those inputs into the product. Very cool. Yeah. And then you- And then we have great partnerships like I talked about before, um, like, you know, with Atlassian and Dropbox and Okta and Splunk, et cetera. Um, yeah. And those are some great companies too. Yeah. And also it's like, you know, I don't know, I don't know if you've seen this, um, but if you if if you if you click on your participant button of the Zoom screen, yep, and you you see the names over on the right, yeah. If you hover over the names, you see the little LinkedIn profile. What? You see the little you see the LinkedIn icon showing up. No, you don't I see. I might that? have an older version. I over participants. I hover over Harry. I got mute more and. Than your photo and your name. Yeah. Well, maybe after the recording is over, we should figure out why you can't see that. So, um, yeah. So, as an example, I'm hovering over your name. I see the LinkedIn icon, so I can click on that. That's awesome. And, and um, if I have a connection, which I do with you, it brings up your profile for me. That's so I'm actually looking at you and looking at your profile. It, it's a it's a little along the lines of. Um, I'm sure you saw the TED talk on the sixth sense. Ooh, no, but I love TED talks. I haven't seen that one yet. Oh my God. You haven't seen that one? No. Sixth sense. Like not uh, like the I'll, movie, I'll, right? Like I'll send you, I'll send you the uh, YouTube click. Uh, Please. It's awesome. It's actually awesome. And uh, it's the sixth sense I think was done around about 2011, uh, so it's about eight years old, nine years old now. Um, uh, but when you see it, you're going to look at it and say, wow, it's kind of like, yeah, uh, some of these things were almost there. I mean, it's a, you know, so the, today it's like, you know, the notion I was reading in JFK now at a couple of gates, they have facial recognition where you can actually board a plane without having to see a gate agent. They actually, it's the facial recognition that's allowing you on. Good topic. So I actually saw on Twitter like this weekend, um, this other guy, Scott Hanselman, he uh, has a podcast for developers uh, about 
writing better code, things like that. And I saw his Twitter and he said he was boarding an international flight and they, they didn't give him an option to opt out. They just physically put him in front of the sensor and said, here you go. And then move on. And he posted on Twitter and then a bunch of people responded with like, that's so messed up that you didn't get a chance to opt out. Me personally, I don't care, man. Like, let's just go live life. Like let's, this technology is moving us forward. People ask me all the time about my Alexa and everything. I'm like, dude, just, it makes your life easier. Who cares? Like signal versus noise. I, 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 absolutely. I, I love the, I love the, I love the automated gate controls at the passport, you know, sort of slide my passport in, look at the camera. Uh, sometimes I forget to take off my glasses, which is a pain. Uh, <laughs> I love, you know, I love using things like clear. I love using, you know, sort of, um, uh, all of these services, you know, global entry, et cetera. Um, yeah, it's like, I've got nothing to hide. And so, um, feel, please feel free to sort of look at my entire profile. Yeah. I like, I lean on, look, I spent my entire life in technology, right? You have too. It's like, we were constantly building to make things easier to use with good intention. I remember when Easy Pass first came out. Easy Pass, like, you know, it's like I'm never going to have an Easy Pass on my car. Why not? Because I don't want people knowing where I went, what day, and what time. It's like, oh, what? What are you worried about? What are you trying to? What are you hiding from? And now it's like, you know, now they got rid of the toll booths in the tri-state area and everything. And it's like if you if you don't have Easy Pass, they're looking at your license plate. And now they, you know, they're emailing you the the bill to your home. Um, so yeah, I love things like that. It just makes life flow. It just makes life easier, moves things faster. Um, and then we can, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's like getting into the whole topic of sort of AI, NLP, ML, etc. Um, just making life easier for all of us humans. So we can, you know, sort of not become lazy, but we can be, you know, so that we can apply ourselves to, you know, to, uh, better making the world a better place in different ways. Um, uh, something I'm been thinking and talking a lot about recently is the notion of machine thinking. I don't know if you've spent any time thinking thinking about that or talking about yeah. that. Keep going. But it's a, but it's a it's a it's a little you know in my mind is a little different from AI and ML because you know you're we're humans right and as humans we get a lot of input. And what do we do with that input? We think about it and we act on it. But then we still, even though we've acted on it, we continue to think about it. And then when more, um, when more inputs come in, um, uh, we still think and then we may act, uh, we may sort of reverse actions that we've done before and now take new actions or augment those actions that we did before. And I think it's a very different, um, in my mind, that sort of strikes me that it might be a little different to the ML or the AI. Um, I don't know. You, you, you do a lot of talking to a lot of different industry experts. I'd be interested in your perspective. Yeah, I've actually thought a lot about this because there's the general perspective of we're trying to build artificial general intelligence and like 99% of people aren't. We're trying to just build something specifically to automate. And then what, what you brought up, thinking and, and being able to describe it and articulate it, I believe is step one. Like I almost thought about writing an entire book because I find that the hardest things, the, the nerds get it nerdier, right? They get really down deep in the details with the algorithms. And there's a, there's almost like a lack. It's, it's, I guess, taking like that Star Trek approach of like having the vision of how it could work and better than layman's terms, but not too difficult and deep down. 
So when you're talking about machine thinking, like I, I really like that concept. I, I look a lot at how I make decisions. Like I try to look at myself objectively as much as possible and to, to build some sort of assistive technology to help you with that would be so cool. Right. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm thinking too. But yeah. It's like, you know, but it's, you know, so here we are machine thinking. I'm thinking it's like, you know, it's, you know, you think about things and you don't act on them because you want to keep. So, so I, I don't know yet if that's different to AI or ML, but I think it is. It is. I, I think it is. I, I do, My gut says it is. I'll figure out how to articulate it later. Later. Exactly. I haven't. I haven't done that part yet, but I think. But I think it is too. <laughs> but I like to watch my memory stack. So like we're actually very inefficient, like we're very poor at like storing memory and context for real time processing. Like we can only store a handful of items in real time, like in our head to make decisions. And I thought like, how could I, if we're always using technology to augment ourselves, right? Like in, in scale ourselves, how can we take the way we process decisions or our unique algorithm of how we think about things and have a machine allow us to bypass our limitations of holding objects in real time for decision making processing right yeah like how could i scale joel's decision and thinking abilities to be able to think about this problem while keeping these 400 things in sight at the same time while choosing the best option yeah and i think you know as humans we've struggled with that for years uh uh, centuries probably which is like you know sort of you got all these balls in the air. Um, how do you make sure that you, you know, you're keeping all these balls in the air and you're doing everything possible to sort of maintain them? I think it's really hard, and I don't think any of us do it very well. No, the moment I went on the road of discipline, like trying to figure out how to be disciplined and, and grow and improve myself, I realized how quickly two things: how quickly you can get to the top. Um, through through discipline and setting yourself aside apart and the second thing is our universe like base principles it's entropic right like it's always deteriorating and so the hardest thing to do is to persist right so the moment you have an like ask the people 200 years ago <laughs> right like the hardest thing to do is to keep going towards one singular focus it's ridiculously difficult and then it gets frustrating you try it and then you have to improve yourself in all these different areas to go after this goal and we really admire the people who do that specifically like athletes do it pretty well right um the highly successful business people do it very well yeah look at eric i mean like you know he he was on he he was on a mission and he's still on a mission and the mission isn't over um yes you know you look at benny off from salesforce it's like you know you know it's very very clear laser focus of where they want to go. But I think, you know, so I mean, you look at a lot of the tech companies today, I think that's the case. Um, they, you know, they, it's, um, I, I fundamentally believe in the, in the technology world today. It's, it's a, um, uh, it's all about the ecosystem and it's about an ecosystem of systems. Um, uh, and um, the, you have, we not, we are now in a world where it is easier to switch out of one system into another system um, because they have a superior product, which means that we need to keep innovating and keep moving that game forward because if we don't, then someone's going to come up, meet us, and exceed us and pass us by. Um, the cost of change is dramatically less than what it ever used to be before. And, you know, there are 
you know, we're, we are all trying to figure out ways to make our products stickier. Um, but you know, you, you, you know, you look at Salesforce, you look at Splunk, you look at ServiceNow, you look at Workday. Uh, these are all great products, and that's the, that's that ecosystem that we're living in. Now, have you gotten the chance to meet um, Parker Harris over at Salesforce? No. So you would really like him, personality-wise. Um, I, I know you would get along with him. But he's one of the three co-founders. It was him, Benioff, and, and the third person. But he just became... Is Parker, Harris the, is Parker Harris the guy that Benioff met on the plane? Um, I don't know. But he's definitely the guy who, like, it was the three of them in an apartment. And then Parker and this other guy were working at this other company, like, doing these other type of technologies. And Benioff convinced them to, to start Salesforce. I don't know if they met on a plane, though. But it's because uh, there was a story, and I can't believe I'm making I'm making this up. Uh, um, uh, to, uh, when I when I send you the YouTube video, I'll send you the story if I can find it. But I believe Benioff, when he was on a flight, it was um, uh, around about the time that he was starting Salesforce, um, met this data scientist on a plane, and um, they were sitting next to each other, had this whole flight, and uh, on the flight, Benioff hired him. Oh, cool. Join Salesforce, yeah. He's a, on the episode, he, he shared a cool story about Benioff, but he seems like the type of person that super cares about the individual themselves and wants what's right for that person over the company, which is something that I admire a lot. Well, look, at the end of the day, Joe, we're just humans, and we're only here for a short period of time, relatively speaking. And, um, you know, I think that it's important to help our fellow citizens. Um, be you know better at what they do, or have a happy life, enjoy what they do, uh, be successful, etc. Um, and if people don't like what they're doing, then help them find, help them figure out well what is it that you would like to do, and then help them, help them do that. I think that um, why why wouldn't why wouldn't why wouldn't you want to do that? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> I heard. Exactly. Um, yeah, I heard from. I think it was like Jim Rowan. I like the motivational people a lot um, and the people that think about life a lot. And he said, uh, help enough people get what they want, you'll get what you want. And I was like, well, that's actually really interesting because then it puts you in the perspective that in order to get what I want in life, the only thing I can really do is go around and help people get what they want. That's deep. It works for me, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, I, I, it works for me too. Yeah, um, I've uh, you know sort of people, um, uh, you know, sort of people have asked me, you know, sort of um, uh, cl clearly you've had a successful career. What is it that you've done to make this happen? Um, nothing. No, I, it's like you know, did I did I sit down, you know, sort of five, ten, fifteen, twenty years ago and say, here's the map of my career? No, I fundamentally always, you know. Um, uh, put my head down, do the best job I can for the organization I worked with. Uh, uh, had uh, great, great teams around me, great supporters around me, and was just sort of immensely lucky, um, to be honest. And um, well, they say people make your own luck, and I, I don't know uh, if that, you know, um, I didn't make anything happen. I just did the best I possibly could and supported the people as best I could. And let everything else is um, then, you know, sort of let, let the cards fall where they fall, right? But that's the most rare and important thing, though, the thing that you're doing. Like, 
you you run you're running a large organization you you see inside of lots of teams you get to meet lots of different people at other companies like it is the rare thing to be like that and so what i do is whenever i find cultures like that i i get near them like i decide that i want to put myself in environments where those types of people exist and that conscious choice is something that i find a lot of people like at the beginning of their career they don't know it's okay to do that it's like you need to make sure that you're in an environment that where healthy things grow so that that's who you become. Those are the habits you pick up. That's, you know, you, you become the people you're around. Yeah. But I also think, Joe, you know, Joel, in addition to all of that, it's also, you know, a lot of hard work. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, you know, sort of, um, you know, uh, it's, uh, never been a nine to fiver. Um, uh, you know, work starts with, you know, Work starts and stop when it starts and when it stops. So it's like it's not you know you, you work isn't on a clock. I'm not gonna let a clock tell me when I can do what I love. What's that? I'm not gonna let a clock tell me when I can do what I love. No, absolutely, absolutely not. Yeah, it's like you know I, I remember a uh, funny story. I remember in um, when I was working uh, for a particular organization, they had this uh, upward feedback process, right? And so. Um, I was there, I don't know, maybe four months, I got my first upward feedback report and I was devastated. Um, it said, you know, a lot of nice things about me, but then it said, you know, sort of, Harry doesn't know anything about work-life balance. Harry believes in work all the time. You know, it's, I hate, you know, so that the weekends are miserable because I get email from Harry all weekend and so on and so forth. I get emails from him at three o'clock in the morning. Something has to be done about Harry's work-life balance. So, uh, uh, you know, I was, it's like you don't like people telling you they don't like you, right? They, or they don't like your work habits. So I decided that um, I would, uh, at 6 o'clock on Friday, uh, sort of download all my email to my laptop, work offline over the weekend on my mobile device when I'm sitting outside waiting for my younger son to come out of swim practice. I would draft emails on my iPhone. And then at Monday morning at 6 a.m., I would open up, connect my laptop, and send all the drafts off, you know, you know, as real emails. And then I got my next upward feedback report, which was devastating. I hate Monday mornings. It's like, it's the worst day of the week. What's wrong with this guy, Mosley? Why can't he just send email when he sends it? Why does he have to wait till six o'clock on Monday morning? You know, I, Monday mornings are, the, are awful because it's like, Email, Harry Mosley, Harry Mosley, Harry Mosley, Harry Mosley. If he just emailed me over the weekend, that would be so much better so I could read it, think about it, digest it, and come up with a plan for next week. So that's when I realized, Joel, that um, you, know, um, you can't change the spots on the dog. I am who I am. This is my DNA. Um, and uh, so you know, life just goes on. And better yet, if you embrace it and you start to look for it, then you can be around people who want to run like you want to run. Yeah, but it's like, you know, but I think it's important if you have an idea or have a suggestion or you have a question, you should feel feel free to just ask it. You know, if it's off hours, I'm not expecting people to, you know, if I'm on a flight to Europe and it's, you know, it's uh, 11 o'clock at night, I'm not expecting people to respond back to me unless it's a crisis or a production issue or something of that nature. But typically, nothing is ever that urgent that it needs an instantaneous response. Well, and I like, for me, I notice myself doing this too. Like, I'll write the Slack messages in the Slack, but not want to push end all the time because I, I sometimes feel a little bit bad about it. But 
at the same time, it's like, you know, you, I, if I don't do it, I risk losing, getting it out there. And I like to take action and I like to get stuff done. I like to feel that sense of accomplishment. It's like, it's on my mind right now. I can either take action and, and let it out. Or I have to like take an action to remind myself to take action at a later time. It just seems so inefficient. (laughs) Which goes back to what we were talking about a moment ago, thinking you thinking about stuff and like, Oh, the light bulb goes off. Now you either take action on what you thought about. And now the, now, now the thought, or you're going to have to like store it and retrieve it uh, later. And it's like, you know, so yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. So as we wrap up here, um, let's say you go back to that version of you that was writing that payment integration, a wire transfer uh, script. You could uh, go back and give that individual one piece of advice to last him the rest of, of his career, only one. Uh, what would that be? I think the one piece of advice I would offer uh, to my compadres, so to speak, um, is um, whenever you uh, encounter a problem, Always try to figure out a solution for it. Doesn't matter how crazy it is. Uh, there was a time in my career where the, when I encountered a problem and I didn't try to figure out a solution, and that uh, cost the project about six months. Um, so, uh, but and I recognized it was a problem, and I, I just left it for somebody else to figure it out. Which was I was very junior at the time, but I think that um, uh, I think fundamentally, if you see a problem. You should do something about it, raise it, put a solution in place. In place, if you you know if you can't think of a solution, get some people around the table who can help come up with a solution. Just don't leave it fester. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on, sharing the advice, connecting with us. People want to learn more about you, connect with you. Uh, probably LinkedIn or Twitter. Fully above. All right, either one's Maybe. fine. Yeah, anyone. And uh, let's circle. If you could do the intro for Logic 17 or whatever yeah. its new name is, and um, I will send you the Sixth Sense and um, see if I can find that Benioff story for you. Oh, that'd be very, very cool. Fantastic. Thank you, man. I, I really like you. Like, it, you're, you're very cool. All right, very good. Enjoy the rest of your day and the week. All right, man. All right. Thank you very much. Cheers. Talk soon. Cheers. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer.